Well, this is really different, isn't it? <laughs> Man, I couldn't tell if any of you were singing. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just you can hide behind those masks, but only for so long because the day is coming. It's so good to be finishing up our study, going through Proverbs together, physically together, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Amen. It's awesome. And I'm thankful today. I really am. Even though we've got to wear masks and we've got to practice social distancing, I am so thankful. I'm, first of all, I'm thankful to God, obviously. But I'm thankful for Grace Chapel staff over these last uh, three or so uh, months, uh, especially for uh, Ben and for Jason, who uh, worked along with me as we figured out how to get those videos out every week because we'd never done it before. It was uh, awesome to have those two young whippersnappers, uh, no, those two young guys uh, working alongside, and uh, the Fallett family as they together enhanced our worship experience. Wasn't that awesome? Uh, on, on those videos, and uh, we, uh, Kim and Connie and Kathy, who all worked from home when they could to keep us connected and functioning as best they could, and then our, our elders and our, and our deacons, uh, who helped guide us through. Um, some of the decisions were really, really difficult. Um, took a lot of prayer, a lot of thought, a lot of research. And to all of you, who I know many of you reached out you reached out during the quarantine. You reached out and assisted wherever you could, whether it was Oakland Hope or to your neighbor. Some of you even came here to the church and did some, some work. Um, it, was, it was just amazing. And, and one thing that blew us, a lot of us away in, in leadership was the many who continued, even though there were trials at work and all kinds of stuff, to give financially to God's gospel ministry. Today, after three months... God has left us in really good shape. Isn't that? Isn't, is, praise God. Praise God. So let's pray and thank him. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. Uh, your, your blessings just overflow. Um, we could not count them. But Lord, we want to recite them. We want to share them. We want people to know. We, we all want to share the good things that you have done for us and that you're going to do through us in the days to come. Thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, thank you. Amen. As I said, today we're finishing up our study, going through the first nine chapters of Proverbs, uh, Solomon's book of Proverbs. What, have you, what have you, do you think so far? I mean, yeah, pretty, pretty good? Like, you like Solomon? You like him? Okay, one person likes him. Good. Okay, we're good. Well, a wise man once said, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Does anybody know who said that? I mean, seriously, come on. There is nothing new under the sun. Solomon, exactly. Not in Proverbs, but in Ecclesiastes. And so what he is wisely pointing out for us in that little expression is that all the unwise choices that Peter Mannering has made over the course of his life are nothing new. They're the same for all of us, and they always have been since Adam and Eve. Yet, I have found it so enlightening, uh, especially for me personally, I hope you have too, that as we've gone through Proverbs, I have been forced to stop and I've been forced to evaluate some of my life choices and to determine and consider 
how wise were those choices that I made so long ago and where I am right now? Have any, have any of you done that? Taken a chance? Some of you are like, oh, Peter, I don't want to go there. No, no. That's, that's what Proverbs does for you. It makes you consider the life choices that you have made that you are going to make in your life. And I don't know about for you, but for me, it was really humbling. Really humbling. If not for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here today. So I hope that we all consider that. And I want to ask you, are you, as we go through Proverbs together and finish it off today, and then we're getting into Jude starting next, next week, weekend, um, are you letting God's Word wash over the sands of your life, wave after uh, exposing wave, as, as those waves come in and they cleanse and they, they take away all the garbage, and they take away all the excess that you and I build up and that we cover up who we really are, and they, they sweep it all away, and we see what really matters in life. I hope you're allowing God's Word to do that for you because God will reveal through His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit the real work that His Spirit has done, is doing right now, and will do in you in the days to come. Hopefully, with our cooperation, that we don't have to come kicking and screaming. So, let's get back to Proverbs. By the way, who is wisdom? Yeah, did you notice? Of course you all noticed that I said, who is wisdom and not what is wisdom? But who is wisdom? Because as we've seen so often as we've gone through Proverbs, I, hope, I know you've probably noticed that Solomon talks about wisdom as a who. Yes, he talks about it as a pathway and, and a highway that uh, we get to choose to walk on, but most often in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a, a woman, all right? It's not a man, it's not a little boy. It's a woman, and it's so interesting, isn't it, that Solomon would use a woman to describe foolishness, tongue-in-cheek, that he would describe, uh, use a woman to describe foolishness and wisdom. How many wives, how many women were a part of Solomon's life? How anybody? Any other numbers? I got them right here. Yeah, a thousand total. Very good, Luann. Yeah, you, you did the math. Yeah, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And some of you have noted and sent me uh, texts and emails, and it's, it's, been, it's been really cool. Thank you so much after the messages. But you, you've noted how very unwise that choice to accumulate that much female presence in marriage and concubineship, um, how very unwise that choice ended up being because we read in scriptures that those marriages helped undo his kingdom the downfall of the nation of Israel. And it's a prime example for all of us to just be a little sober-minded before we get into chapter 8 and 9. It's a prime example of knowing the wise thing to do, even having the ability to tell others the wise thing to do, but not do it consistently yourself. We've all been there, and hopefully Proverbs will keep us from going there again. So let's dive into chapters 8 and 9. I hope you've brought your Bible or your mobile device to follow along, chapters 8 and 9. And we're going to complete our study, but not our application, 
of the book of Proverbs, the changes in our lives that we all need have only just begun. So, who is wisdom? I'll go back to that question. Who is wisdom? Wisdom is an attribute of God himself. It's in Job 12, 13, this far, and in many other places too. With God are wisdom and might. He has counseling and understanding. Who has wisdom? God has wisdom. It's an attribute of God himself. Secondly, God's wisdom defines our coming to salvation. Listen to this. This is a cool verse. It's in a passage. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all, what do you think the word's going to be? It begins with a W. Wisdom, very good. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, the salvation we get to enjoy, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then we see that ultimately Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate. It's God's wisdom in the flesh. Jesus is wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, uh, it tells us that Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one who boasts boast in the Lord. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from Jesus. Who is wisdom? Jesus. Jesus is wisdom. We've discovered that none of us, I hope you are here with me, that none of us are wise in ourselves. Jesus graces us with everything that we have. He is wisdom. And the book of Proverbs, like all of Scripture, points to Jesus Christ. His name is not mentioned once in the entire book, but the whole book screams Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 24, um, Jesus is, is, the resurrected Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples, and they haven't quite recognized him, and then he reveals himself to them. And Jesus says in verses 44 and 47, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything, listen to this, this would include Proverbs, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds, just like he has done for many of you in this room today. He's opened your minds to the truth of the gospel uh, about him. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of, sin of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The emphasis is that whenever Proverbs uses that word wisdom, which is like every other line, Proverbs is speaking about Jesus Christ. So as I've been saying all along in this series, I think this is number seven or eight, I can't remember. I think maybe it's number seven. Proverbs is not just some kind of self-help counseling book. It's the way it's preached a lot. A lot of way where the books are written on it. It's not some health, healthy and wealthy success story. But Proverbs, like every other bit of Scripture, points to Jesus. He points to Jesus as God's answer to your and my sin dilemma. 
Jesus is the answer to all the injustice which is rampant at every level of our society today. There's injustice everywhere. We know it. We've experienced it. Jesus is the answer to the rebellion that we see around us. Jesus is the answer to the self-centered life choices so many people make. Jesus is the answer to self-promotion. Jesus is the answer to the lack of love for our neighbor. And nothing more than Jesus is what our current world needs most right now. And it's sad, it's so sad to see human beings on the TV screen or on the computer screen, human beings created in the image of God, railing against each other in hatred. Isn't it sad? Does it break your heart? Or you just go, yeah, whatever. It's sad to see men and women pushing political agendas as the solution to mankind's problem. <laughs> when was there a time that ever, that, that ever worked? It didn't work for the wisest man who ever lived. So why would it work for us? It's tragic to hear humans who profess to know Jesus Christ, who use his name, promote some of these alternative answers uh, stronger than they promote Jesus. Uh, they promote human-centered solutions to our current state of affairs. Jesus is what our current world needs the most. Our world needs followers, people who follow Jesus' way, God's way, the way of wisdom. And you know, that's why we've been left here. And we find that in chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, that wisdom, which I'm going to call Jesus now, all right, that wisdom, Jesus, calls out to each of us. He's doing it right now. He's calling to you. He's calling to me. He's calling to your neighbor. And wisdom is pictured as, in these five verses, as going through the, your city, whatever your city is, loudly pleading with the naive. Many, many people fall into that category. And, he's, and wisdom pleads for them just to listen to my call. Verses 4 and 5. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. So he's talking... Wisdom's calling out to everyone. And then he further defines what men and women are like. Oh, simple ones. Has anybody ever said that to you? <laughs> oh, simple ones. Learn prudence. Oh, fools. Learn sense. Mankind as a whole is poetically paralleled with fools. You see, this is what we all needed during the difficulties of the last three months. This is what humanity has always needed since the dawning of time. And Jesus did the same thing in the New Testament. He pleaded with sinners in the same way. Matthew, the tax collector, who was a, a fool, who be, was made wise by Jesus, he recorded Jesus' words in Matthew 11 where he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I feel like I just read from Proverbs, but it's Jesus in Matthew. The answers, the analysis that I'm hearing on most of the news outlets, the directions I'm getting from politicians of all different stripes, don't usually lead me here. <laughs> you? 
where, where I need to be to rest in Christ alone. Oh, oh, on the rare occasion, maybe. But today, through God's word, Jesus is calling out to you and he's calling out to me. Are we listening? When I read those verses, uh, verse 4 and 5 of Proverbs 8, did you see, did you notice that wisdom calls out to all classes of people indiscriminately? There's nothing greater than God. There's nothing greater than his wisdom, his all-knowing understanding of all that has happened, what is happening right now in your life, and what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Not only does God's wisdom contain all that knowledge, he's in control of it all. He controls all things. And God, this God that I've just described, with this kind of unfathomable wisdom, takes the time, makes the effort to lower himself. Why? In order to reach out to the simple, to reach out to you and me. Jesus, who is the King of Kings, lowered himself. He lowered himself to reach out to sinful humanity. He voluntarily offered himself to go through that gruesome sacrifice so that you and I could obtain so that you and I could come to even understand the gospel of God's wisdom. Jesus stood and he cried out, just like wisdom stood and cried out in John chapter 7, and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever drinks in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Are you like me, that you want, you thirst for God's rivers of living water to flow out of you? And I discern by watching my world, the world that you and I live in, that this is not what this planet is offering me. Wisdom calls out to each of us. And we see next in the verses 6 to 11 that wisdom, Jesus, should be treasured by each of us. Wisdom is, in verses 6 and 8, it's both excellent and it's righteous. There is nothing false, there is nothing crooked in wisdom's teaching. Are we discerning enough? Are you discerning? Are you smart enough to filter out the crookedness in the news that's swirling around you? To uncover all the ulterior motives and the self-serving agendas? I don't think any of us are. I don't think anybody in this, on this planet is capable of doing that. But wisdom says in verse 10, take my instruction instead of silver. Take my knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. All the stuff you want, think about it. What are you going for right now? Can't compare with wisdom. Jesus said in it's said of Jesus in First uh, Corinthians chapter one verse twenty four. He is the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Verse twenty five. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In Jesus, as opposed to everything else we are exposed to in this life, there is no sin and there's no crookedness, waywardness. He is truth incarnate. You never know when to really trust a man or a woman. 
I know there are some that you might trust, but you never know. There's always that chance that they might let you down, but you can always trust Jesus. It's amazing. It's very relieving. Wisdom is not discovered by proud people. Wisdom is not gained through mere human reason. Wisdom reveals herself, we read, only to those who have spiritual understanding. Do you have spiritual understanding? It can only come from God if you have it. And when we have a heart, we read in Scripture, when we have a heart that has been humbled by God, has your heart been humbled? Like that of a child, Jesus describes it in Matthew chapter 18, then you can be receptive to God's spiritual knowledge. But if you're proud, forget about it. We will receive wisdom from Christ when we have that kind of a heart. And then when we get it, we will guard that wisdom with everything we've got. We will treasure that wisdom. We will proclaim and let other people know that wisdom. Not just with words on Sundays or, I guess now Saturdays too, right? Here, yeah, not just these two services, but in everything we do, with everyone we meet, even our enemies. Are you there yet? I have a long way to go. What would you say that you are pursuing right now? You don't have to say it out loud, just in, in your head. I mean, if you had to quantify it, you had to put it in a word or a phrase or a sentence, what would you say you are pursuing right now? Another way to ask that, maybe to help you think about it, jog your memory, is what are the goals of your life? You ever hear your parent ask you that? So what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? Where are you going to go? What are the goals of your life? What are you pursuing right now? Is it family? Is it a relationship? Is it a job, a career? Is it wealth and finances? Is it, is it pleasure moments and vacations and getaways? Maybe you just want to be well-liked or respected or accepted. Um, and all of those things I just said, those are things that our world would pursue. Those are things to pursue in this world. And by the way, I'm not down on it. Um, we all realize that there's a practical side to all those goals. For instance, I don't know about you, but I need money in order to buy food. Are we, are we all there? Right, right? Or do you get free food? Yeah, we all need money to buy food or to provide shelter for ourselves. Um, and who doesn't benefit from having a good friend that you can trust most of the time? So some of these goals have some real worth, right? Yeah. But what we're, what we're seeing in the Old Testament and Proverbs and in the New Testament in Jesus Christ is that without Jesus Christ's wisdom governing all those things, all those things will turn out to be self-serving. All of those things will elude you in bringing any kind of eternal salvation, any kind of real purpose, and, and even a present sense of contentment in this life and a, and a hope for the future in life. It's all vanity. It's all foolishness without Jesus. And I'm not sure that we consistently value God's wisdom like we should, like it says here to treasure it. Um, Paul expresses this thought when he was um, 
sharing a prayer with the church at Colossae. It's in Colossians 2, verses 3 and 4. And he said, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. And then Paul gives a word of caution. It's, it's amazing. It's right there after this amazing statement. I'm saying this to you. Are you listening? I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Plausible arguments. Isn't that what we're hearing today? Plausible arguments. And most of them are against this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Arguments that attempt to discover assurance, a sense of security in life, a sense of trust through something or someone else other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the pearl of great value. He's the treasure hidden hidden in the field in Matthew chapter 13. You can't have wisdom as your marriage partner and keep foolishness as your mistress. It doesn't work that way. The rest of chapter 8 tells us that wisdom, Jesus, in verses 12 through uh, 13, teaches us to humbly fear God. Then it teaches us in verses 14 to 21, it it offers us uh, success and great reward. And, And we've gone over these things exhaustively in the first seven chapters. But chapter 8 ends in a very unique way, something we haven't talked about. It tells us that wisdom, Jesus, they display the visible glory in God's creation, a visible glory of God in God's actual created world. There's probably no passage in Proverbs more, that more directly points to Jesus Christ than this description of the role of wisdom in the very creation of our world. Wisdom is said to be from everlasting in verses uh, 22 and 23. Well, guess what? Jesus is everlasting and eternal, isn't he? He's the, he's the eternal one, and he's with the Father. John chapter 1, John chapter 17. Wisdom is presented as, as, as being pre- present and mediating the creation event back in Genesis. It's in verses 27 and 30. And then we know that the Son of God, Jesus, was the agent of creation. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's Jesus. The beauty of God's wisdom and the display of the beauty of Jesus Christ are displayed in the skies and they're in the seas and they're on the land. When you see something in nature that, uh, that makes you just stop and grab your, your phone or, or your camera to get a pic or to get a video. That's God's wisdom revealed. That's Jesus Christ's handiwork that you're taking a picture of. And if God himself required wisdom in order to exec- execute the creation of the universe, don't you think you and I really need wisdom? <laughs> and just doing day-to-day accomplishments in our lives. 
with our family, with our vocation, with our relationships. And Jesus did say in John 15, 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Don't get this backwards. I am the vine. You are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, repeat after me. Apart from Jesus, we can do a little louder. Apart from Jesus, we can do without Jesus, you and I are that's not very good. It's not very convincing. Without Jesus, you and I are yeah, does that feel good to say it loud? Huh? There are some people who would say that you shouldn't say things like that. That you shouldn't put yourself down like that. That this is not a wise thing. This is not a build-up thing to admit. I feel wonderful. <laughs> I really do. I feel wonderful in that acknowledgement. I'm freed to depend completely on God and God alone. The one who comes to Jesus Christ in faith receives everlasting life. The person who turns from wisdom brings destruction and death upon themselves. Just like the one who rejects Jesus Christ will suffer everlasting death. And chapter 8 is wisdom through God's eyes. It describes Jesus, none other than Jesus. And I've chosen to close our message series right now with the first five verses of chapter 9. That's all we're going to do is those five verses. They, they say so much. And here God gives each of us an invitation. Um, it's an invitation that you can accept or you can reject, just like any other invitation. And in wisdom, Christ invites you to a feast. Who here today does not like to eat? Yeah, I didn't think I'd get any hands. Yeah. We, we, I mean, come on, it's, the, it's our great national pastime. Um, I, I was listening to people um, on TV saying, so what is it about the quarantine that's really bumming you out? And so many people said, I can't go out to eat. I can't go sit down in a restaurant and just eat. It's like, it's just that we love to do it. Anytime people gather together, it typically revolves around food. Yeah, it just does, except during a pandemic when we can't gather together. We will eat in this life. Amen? And apparently, as I read Scripture, we're going to eat in the next. Bonus, right, this, this salvation thing just keeps on giving. It keeps getting better and better. You see, there are actually two competing dinner invitations in Proverbs chapter 9. And you and I are invited to choose the menu. Lady Wisdom calls out to the naive. Um, who would that be? You and I. Yes, yes, it's you and I. Compared to God's wisdom, we are so naive. God's wisdom calls out to us to turn away from that feast. That lady fool foolishness is, has got these outwardly alluring feasts. Um, and he says, and wisdom says, come to my table. Don't go to her table. Because, you see, foolishness has prepared a table. And it's described as a deadly banquet. It's in verses 15 and 18 of chapter 9. And it's described as being made up of stolen, illicit foods that will poison your soul. It doesn't look that way, but that's the end. It's kind of like the Snow White story. You guys like the Snow White, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Yeah. 
it's like the Snow White story where the wicked queen disguises herself. Remember, she disguised herself as an ugly hag. And um, that's not probably very nice, is it? But anyway, <laughs> she, she, she disguised herself like that. And she, uh, she deceives Snow White by offering her a beautiful, delicious-looking apple. Exactly. But it's poison. Nighty-night, Snow White. And it's just like Adam and Eve. They were deceived by the lying-tongued serpent back in the Garden of Eden who offered them a false wisdom to, be, to have God-like status. Who doesn't want that? And he used what? Good-looking fruit. We don't know if it was an apple, but good-looking fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it was death. It was death that they bought for all mankind. And ever since, our stupidity has not changed. Right? We could get up here one after another and recount the stories. We're like fish chomping down on shiny lures that have sharp, hooked barbs, and they won't let you go once you get hooked. Our relief from our own stupidity, the possibility of our naivety being replaced with true wisdom comes only from God, and it's through His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was like that in the Old Testament. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does the Lord, my shepherd, prepare for me? A table. With, what do you think is on it? Just a table? Food. Yes, a feast. The psalmist in 119 sings, how sweet are your words to my taste. You see, it's all about food. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Isaiah the prophet, in Isaiah 55, God pleads through the prophet uh, to, to, to have the people to stop wasting their money on food that doesn't satisfy. This will never fill you up, but instead come to his sumptuous banquet table and have food that will fill you up, and it's free. Who doesn't like free food? In the New Testament, Jesus offers us living water. Water that never runs out. It's in John chapter 4, verse 10, with the lady at the well, the woman at the well. And then he says it again, three chapters later in chapter 7. And then in between those two living water chapters, um, in chapter 6, Jesus invites us to feed on himself. And here, let me read it for you. I am the bread of life. I'm going to give you water and bread. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Because it only sustained you until you have to eat it again and then you die. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that no one may eat of it and not die. I, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say unto you, and this is what freaked a lot of the Pharisees out. They couldn't, they couldn't grab the spiritual significance of this. He wants us to eat them, eat him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. In chapter 9, verse 1, the uh, wisdom 
is described as building her house so that we have a shelter to eat her feast underneath of and, be, and do it in safety. And we find in the New Testament that Jesus, guess what he's doing? He's building a house. And it's his body. And it's made up of you and me. It's called his church. So you may be asking, like most people do, so when do we eat? <laughs> well, in the present time, we, the church, the children saved by God through the, his grace, through Christ, we enjoy fellowship centered around a table called the Lord's Supper, communion. It's a feast of remembrance. In the present time, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and uh, that was given to us through God's great wisdom. But at the very same time, every time we take communion as a church family together, it's a pointing finger into the future. One day we're going to enjoy a feast together with Christ, physically and spiritually. It's like over the last three months we've wanted to worship together, but we couldn't, and now this day is here. We're here physically. This is also going to happen. And Jesus said so at the Last Supper. And we look forward to an everlasting heavenly feast when Jesus returns. And in Revelation 19.9, it's, The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited. See, there's the invite. To the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So, what is your reply to wisdom? What, what is your reply to Jesus? Remember, wisdom and Jesus are one and the same. When you are invited to a formal dinner party, a reply is expected. Uh, and since there's food involved, I typically am always encouraged to reply yes. I just enjoy that. But here, yes, to which of the two invitations to these two feasting opportunities? One of foolishness, one of wisdom. By human nature, we will typically take the foolish invitation every time. That's how we're wired, with sin. And to get out of that simpleton predicament, we need truth. We need to see clearly. We need God's wisdom, and we have to pursue it and seek it every day. We can never let our guard down. And only those who humbly seek wisdom will receive it. In 1961, an advertising copywriter by the name of Shirley Polykoff, pitched an idea to a room full of male executives. 1961. She said, here's the, here's the ad. If I've only one life to live, let me live it as a blonde. I don't know if some of you are old enough to remember this, but it was very, very popular. And the rest, they say, is advertising history. They made millions. And actually, she had created magic a couple of times before this in previous campaigns. One of them was, does she or, anybody know this? Doesn't she? Yeah, it was for hair dye. And then uh, the other one was, the closer he gets, nobody? Okay. The better you look. So it's, that was her. But this line, if you've only one life, let me, if I've only one life, let me live it as a blonde, was her best and made the most money. But it leads us to an interesting question. How would you complete this sentence? If I've only one life, let me live it as a... 
What would you put in there? As a what? As a devoted mom? A great dad? Faithful friend? Successful business leader? How about a committed follower of Jesus Christ? How about a committed Christian? The truth is we each only have one life to live. That's a reality. And there are only a few goals that are worth pursuing. And one goal, as we've been reminded of in Proverbs, is greater than them all. Yes, one goal to rule them all for all of you Lord of the Ring fans. In weighing the various measures of success, here's what Paul said, the Apostle Paul. I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Philippians 3.10. And just a few paragraphs before that, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Philippians 1.21. So Paul's saying, if I only have one life to live, and I do, let me live it as an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Our world's foolishness, its way of seeing things, its offerings of solutions to attempt to remedy Mankind's destructiveness, mankind's division, it's often anti-wisdom. And many times it's anti-Christ. Those who follow after that advice will die. But as, God, as God's kids, we instead encourage each other, don't we? We encourage each other. We look to draw others to the truth. Anyone we encounter... And day by day, we, we, we hunger for God. We hunger for his word. We desire and we treasure him like food. And we believe and we trust that he can fill us now and he will fill us in the future according to his riches that are in heaven. In who? Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's a lot of food. And that's a lot of wisdom for each of us to digest. Let's pray. God, we meditate on your word. It's powerful. It's sharp. It pierces through all the, the clutter and the noise that we hear in our world today. And Lord, I pray it makes us more sensitive to the needs of people. The real need is your son and our savior, Jesus. We're so thankful for your plan of salvation and the wisdom that it reveals to us. But Lord, give us a tenderness and a sensitivity to people, to their, to their needs, to where they're at, to see beyond our little world and to see theirs too, so that we too can be the witnesses that Jesus called those first disciples to be. And we pray it in his most precious name. Amen.